you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, this is just a random lesson that I feel uh, to teach tonight. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the theme is serving and, and helping with the uh, with Rock-A-Block and everything that's going on. It does demand the whole church. There's no way that we can do this uh, as a small group, but everybody uh, to be a part, and you've always done that. And I, I, I'm so appreciative of the help that each one of you bring towards uh, this ministry, and we, we're very grateful for that. And, uh, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about that tonight. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 20. You can uh, remain seated. I'm going to get right into the lesson. But it says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. Okay, so there's quite a commitment when you are wanting to be close to Jesus and be a part of that work. Uh, there's going to be another level, and that's kind of what I was talking about with the enemy not liking the commitment level that we raise to when we are following after another uh, dimension in the Lord. So he's really wanting her to contemplate, what are you asking for your boys? You know, you need to understand that there's going to be some battles and there's going to be a, a level of attacks and spirituality that you're going to have to contend with. Are you sure you really want your boys to be a part of uh, my ministry here? said, And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Now, they were feeling like they were cutting in line and wanting a position that perhaps they were wanting themselves, but they didn't have the boldness to ask for. And then these two are asking for something they really desired. So it was creating a little bit of contention and actually indignation in the heart of the, of the ten brethren. And so Jesus called them to him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it, shall be, uh, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And, who, and these are the words of Jesus. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So when we're looking at this, and I want to entitle this, just searching for significance, uh, I think that many times there's not a, a true understanding of what the ministry of Jesus Christ is all about. You know, it's not about being up front. It's not about, you know, being over departments or leading uh, uh, people. But it truly is, in its pure sense of the, of the word ministry, serving fellow humanity. It's understanding that, you know, you kind of lose your independence, you lose your uh, uh, ability to maybe do what you want to do, and you're literally serving 
the needs of the people that you are trying to help out and to, uh, minister to. Whenever there are groups of people gathered together, uh, we all have observed how uh, individuals will try to stand out in a crowd. And I, that's why I like going to the mall, because you see all kinds of, of people. I mean, I, I enjoy just sitting there waiting on my wife to shop. Uh, there's a really good place by Macy's that has a bunch of couches, and it's kind of in a circle. And I've done a lot of reading through the years right in that area and looking, and looking at people that have walked by and just, you know, I can't help it, but there's some crazy people out at, the, at St. Clair Square. But when you begin to look at them, and not only St. Clair, St. Clair Square, but at General Conference sometimes, there's some crazy-looking uh, people uh, that are standing out. I mean, it's, uh, you know, years ago, I'm, I'm thinking of the hairdos and the, the style of dress, and they definitely stand out. They, they are right out there all by themselves. And you know what? That's where they want to be. They want to be looked at, or they want to kind of stand out from everybody else. But some try to dress different. They try to act different. Uh, they have a desire uh, to make their mark and to uh, maybe gain the attention of the of people. But I, I don't really want to talk about that tonight. Uh, I'm not really talking about gaining attention uh, for yourself. I'm not. That's not my intention. And unfortunately, there are some. I don't believe that's here tonight, and I sincerely say that, but there are some that don't have an understanding of what true ministry is all about. Whether the group is political, whether it's social or religious, uh, these are people that are searching for significance. And there's a difference between searching for significance and also searching for the attention of mankind. There's a difference between the two, totally, and we, we understand that. In fact, the definition of, of this, of, of just significance alone, is real or inner meaning. Some, something that's real or has uh, inner meaning. So from the time that we're born till, you know, I don't think there's really an age limit on it, there are people that are looking for significance, they want to make a difference in the lives of other people or in the world that they live. Is there anything wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, as long as you attain that significance the right way. Amen? So there's nothing wrong with that desire. Uh, you know, I was thinking in the Word of God from Jacob uh, grabbing Esau's heel, uh, coming out of, the, of his mother's womb, uh, all the way, you know, trying to pull him back to where he could be the significant firstborn, which, you know, I always wondered how babies could even think that way. But that was the kind of the example or the plan of God that was played out uh, from these two little uh, babies. All the way to Cain and Abel, they were also uh, seeking acceptance through the sacrifices at the altar. One was the sacrifice that had it right. It was about God. And the other, the sacrifice was about themselves. I guess that, that would be the, you know, the, the, the way that I can decipher this lesson tonight on what is your sacrifice? What is it that you are offering unto the Lord? Is it your way or is it God's way? Cain's way was his way. It was convenient. It's what he had. It wasn't the plan that God had nothing to do with the word of God, but it was convenient for him. It was what 
he wanted to do. It was what he wanted to, to offer unto the Lord, but God had another plan. Now, it just so happened that Abel, his, his uh, way of offering this uh, uh, a sacrifice before the Lord was what he actually did, but that had nothing to do with it. I believe that if Abel, if it was, uh, the shoe was on the other foot, that he would also do it the way God wanted him to do it because his heart was about pleasing the Lord and not offering himself to the Lord but the sacrifice of what he had before the Lord the right way. Now, there's a drive in many to be accepted and to be greatly used by God. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what I want to lay out tonight is that you don't see in Scripture where the Lord was condemning uh, uh, this mother for wanting this to take place. He wasn't condemning her. He wasn't trying to embarrass her. But he was trying to let her know that, you know what, you don't know really what you asked for here. You don't understand the, the, the depths of, of your request and the, the, the depths of your calling and what that represents to these young boys. Don't you know that whenever they're called to do what you're asking them to be, you know, a, a, a bid to do, that they are giving up so much of their, their life. They're giving up so much of their independence. They're, they're giving up so much of their natural desires to react the way they really want to react. But, but yet, yeah, whenever you're representing something greater than you, you can't react the way you want to react or the way that your flesh wants you to react. Anybody understand what I'm talking about right now? Now, I'm not talking, now you might be thinking, well, I'm not called to the, the ministry or be a pastor or preacher. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the ministry of the saint of God. Every one of us that are here today, if we're Holy Ghost filled, we are called to the ministry. We are called to sacrifice. We are called to serve our fellow humanity. We weren't given the gift of the Holy Ghost not to do that. Amen. It's not just for the ministry or it's not just for a, a specific called group of people, but it is for whosoever will that is tasted and seen and experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost that we have that calling to serve our fellow humanity. Now, I believe that God is still looking for men and women who have a burning desire to uh, 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 do something for God. They've, they've assessed their motives. They, you know, and I think that that's a process that needs to be done continually. We need to check our heart. That's why Paul said that we've got to die every day. We've got to die to our flesh. We've got to die to our own desires is that our, our motives are right, that they're pure, and the things that we do for God even. You know, we can hide behind the, the sacrifices of God, but we need to be obedient to the Word of God first and foremost. Whatever the word has to say, we have to obey that versus our, but God, I've sacrificed this and I've given this, so don't I get a little extra credit to be carnal or, or maybe to disobey this part of the letter of the law or this part of your word? No, we don't because obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? It's God would that we would obey him and obey the word of God and just kind of forget about maybe the extra sacrifice that we hide behind. See, that's, the, that's what can happen sometimes is we can be so in, in the mode of, of, of sacrifice that that becomes our identity versus just living a life of purity and holiness and obedience to God's word. Amen. Now, he's searching for men and woman, women with pure motives and with the right spirit to use greatly 
in his kingdom. I believe that that's, that's his desire because he's no longer here to be able to walk the, 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 the roads and be able to walk in our city and make great impact in the, in, in the multitudes that gather around him. He's no longer doing that. So his only other option is for the church to be the church of the living God that can reach out to people in, in, in our world that we live in. So while he's looking at these people to be a part of the kingdom of God, he's also looking for the saints of the living God to be a part of his work and doing what he would have us to do. Now, he's searching for men and women with pure motives, right, uh, spirits to greatly impact uh, the kingdom, uh, his kingdom, that, that we are to be a part of. So there's nothing wrong with the saint of God with having a lot of drive. You know, I, I, I want us to be very careful that we're not critical of somebody that does have a, a great desire or they're really excited about, you know, uh, doing something for God. We ought never to be critical of them. I think sometimes our criticism will be that we feel a little guilty that we're not doing what they're doing and they're kind of making me look bad in an indirect way. And so we judge them sometimes as being, well, you know, just wait for the, you know, that radical uh, desire and that behavior to kind of die down and, and they'll be like me is what we're really saying. But that's not good. I don't think that we ought to do that. We, we ought to encourage them. We ought to be a part of what they are doing. So, so I don't want us to ever to stymie that passion and that desire because God needs that in the kingdom. He needs people that are on fire. He needs a youth group that are on fire for God to do something wonderful for him. We need to get behind that. So there's nothing wrong with that drive and that desire of looking for significance in the kingdom of God. Now I'd go so far as to say that, that these type of people are here at Apostolic Revival Church. That's why we've got uh, a lot of things going on. We, we always have many things that are happening at our church and we do big events and, and that because there are people that have the desire and the drive to do something uh, wonderful for the Lord. And I am very, very thankful for that. Now, sitting back and waiting for things to happen, is not, that's not going to cause things to happen. You know, we can wait and we can wait and we can say, well, you know, when the Lord moves on me and I, I really, really feel it or he opens up that door, then I'll get up and then I'll start doing. No, we need to be doing, we need to be busy doing something. I'll tell you what we need to be doing towards the end of the lesson, but we need to be busy doing something for him to where we're already in the mode to where we are actively moving and listening and searching out what God would have us to do. See, the thing is, it's not going to be the big event. It's not going to be the big door that we open. I've never really seen a, a, a door, the door, open for somebody that just leads to ever, all their dreams coming true. I've never seen that, ever. I've been raised in church. I know uh, from the very beginning uh, of being a young, young man, you know, uh, a, a baby on the, on, the, the, on, the, on the pew, playing with toys or whatever as a, as a two-year-old, all the way to where I'm at right now, I've never seen somebody open one door and then everything just open up. It's not like that. It's busily doing what we know to do every single day. Just, God, I just want to be faithful. Whatever the need is, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. And that's not, you know, the, it's not a daily dream coming true. It's just working for the Lord. 
It's being a part of what God would have us to do every day. But those doors, those little doors, or just uh, those little building blocks that I've talked uh, about before, just doing what you know to do, that little little block here and a little block there that is, it, it, you know, when you really look at the scope of your life, you think, man, that's really not very significant. It's not really that fancy of a, of a foundation, but it's just one faithful service or one faithful deed or one faithful day after another day that we know that we are serving the Lord. And before you know it, God is opening some doors for us. Not, not the big door, but just a door. And then we are walking through that door faithfully, knowing that that's what God would have us to do. But sitting back and waiting on the door to open, it, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Now, in our text, Jesus did not rebuke again, and he did not condemn uh, the disciples for having, and I hate to use this word. I'm going to use it with a, you know, with a positive word before it, godly ambition. I think ambition on, on its own can be, that can really, really, really get you in a lot of trouble. It can, it can lead a path uh, that, that can really, you know, uh, get you out of the, the will of God. So I'm going to say godly ambition. And I'm not saying just a, a work for God in the church, but just even in your job, it's a godly ambition. I want to take care of my family. I want to, you know, I want to uh, be successful, but it's for the right reasons. I, I, want, to, I want to provide for uh, my, my family or for my church. That's a godly ambition. So, so he's not rebuking this type of, of ambition and especially when it comes to pressing toward a higher calling, a desire. So somebody says, well, I, I, I want to do something for God. I, I, want to, I don't feel significant. You don't offend me at all. I want to hear that. And I'll do everything I can to help you get to that point where on a daily basis, you're feeling like you're making a difference in the kingdom, or at least you have the peace of mind that you know what you're doing is correct and right. You know, that you're, you're in the plan of God and you're, you're working towards just doing something for the Lord. So that doesn't offend me at all. I want to hear that. I want you to talk to me about that. And I'll do my best to help you uh, get to that, that place where you, you feel like you're in a, on the right path and you're going in the right direction. But can you imagine where the church would be if one of the requirements of being a disciple would be to get rid of, of all your drive, you know, all your sense of wanting to attain or, or to do something. That, you know, uh, let's not spiritualize it so much that we say, well, you shouldn't have drive or you shouldn't have any kind of ambition or you shouldn't have any kind of desire uh, to be successful. I wouldn't want to be a part of anything that would have that mindset. To me, that would be hopeless. It'd be like, well... What's the point here? You know, I, if I can't be successful or if, I, or if I can't work towards a goal, you know, we are goal-oriented people. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as our goals are proper and right and they're, they're, we keep them in perspective. There's nothing wrong with having goals. As long as you're not making that goal your God or that that goal is opposite or anti-God. So there's nothing wrong with having goals or desires or dreams and all that. Let's, uh, you know, let's keep it in perspective here. But the, the, the key is that we keep it in perspective, that we understand God is first and foremost in my life no matter what. In fact, even if it's a, a goal that, you know, of, of, of a job or a, a school or, or building a home or fixing a car or whatever it might be, that's fine and that's good and there's nothing wrong with that as long as God is still your number one. In fact, it, as long as God says, uh, I need you to do away with that and you say, okay, God, I'll be obedient to that. 
then that tells me that we're not idolizing whatever that goal is or that desire. And that's a good test right there. Could we give it up? Could we let go of that thing that we really enjoy or uh, that we have a goal or some ambition towards? I think that would be the, the, the uh, indicator of whether or not that has become an idol or not. Now, I believe that the church grew because of men and women who were ignited by what happened to them. They had an experience in the Lord, and it just lit a fire. There's something about receiving the Holy Ghost. I know that sounds funny the way I described it, but there's just something about receiving the authentic power of God inside of their heart that ignited them. Amen. You know, the Holy Ghost is not weaker than it was 2,000 years ago. It's the same Holy Ghost. And I would to God that whenever we pray through again, and we, whether it's initially or pray through again, that there's something that's ignited inside of our heart. That we've got a desire that God, I, I just, I've got a, it's like fire. And this is scripture here. This isn't something I came up with. It's like fire shut up in my bones. There's something about the authentic power of God that is not diluted over time. It's not something that, you know, we say, well, you know, here the Holy Ghost again is moving. We ought, to, we ought to just grasp a hold of it. It ought to be fresh. It ought to be wonderful. It ought to be something we believe in that we just want to be a part of. God, to refill us with the baptism of His Spirit, to reignite something inside of our hearts. So, so I believe that that's how the church began to grow and to impact the world that these people lived in is by the impact of the Holy Ghost that was made in their hearts that they weren't the same. Everything was different about the way they looked at people, the way they looked at eternity, the way they looked at, uh, at other people's lives and conversations they were having. Something was different. Amen. I wish I could tell a story right now that, that happened today, but I, I really don't want to do that uh, at this time because there could be others uh, that are listening uh, later on down the road. But, but God, you know, when you have a focus on the things of, of God, God begins to open up doors, doors that you would never even dream of, that people that are, that are really hungry that you would never think were hungry. Amen. I mean, folks that you'd be like, well, that would be probably the last person on the face of the earth or at least in Illinois, they would want God. But you would be surprised. You would be surprised what's going on in the hearts of men and women that you work with, that you're around every day, that God is working on them, but God needs somebody to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and ready to give an answer to the questions that people have when they, when they pose those questions. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Now, Jesus encouraged this type of confidence by telling them that they were the salt of the earth, that they were the light of the world. That doesn't sound like, you know, he's describing someone who's insignificant. He's not describing somebody that cannot make an impact. That, that, he said, ye, you that are, are followers of me or those that are filled with the Holy Ghost, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're not just the average person here. That's why you that are here tonight, you mean something to me. You know, I love my family, and I, I really do. I, I'm very connected to them, but also my, my, my family, the, uh, you know, the, the body of Christ. You all are special because you are filled with the Spirit of God. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's, what, that's how Jesus described you. Amen? 
So why shouldn't I treat you in a good way if you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world? Why would I even, why would I even treat you bad if you're that of what, what Jesus described you as being? Why would I describe you or why would I treat you any differently? Amen? Makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think that I need to, I need to respect that salt and that light. I need to love that salt and that light. I need to regard them in a, in a, in a, in a manner of what, you know, Jesus described them as. That's what they are. Amen. That's just, I don't know where that came from, but I just felt like to say that. You know, that's, that's who we deal with every day. When we shake hands with one another, salt, light, that's what Jesus described you as. Are you perfect? Am I perfect? No, but that doesn't mean I'm not salt. That doesn't mean that I'm not light. That's, remember when, uh, uh, this I think is in Matthew somewhere, and this isn't part of the lesson, but I, I just feel to say this, uh, Jesus had said that someone who calls someone Raka, remember that? He said their soul could be, and I, I, I'm not sure exactly the, the judgment, but it's a, it was a pretty severe judgment. If somebody has that scripture real quick, can uh, uh, read that. But there's a severe judgment for someone who calls somebody Raka. You know what Raka is? Dummy, fool, idiot. You know, in other words, you're calling them something that, you know, is, is degrading to them. And that's a brother or sister. And you know your soul will be in judgment? Makes you think, doesn't it? So that means that our brothers and our sisters, the people, you know, that now you might not consider them a brother or sister if you're mad at them, but let me tell you, if they are Holy Ghost filled, they're as imperfect as you are. So if you're judging them by their imperfection, then you need to be very careful that the judgment isn't coming on you as well. Amen? That judgment that you pose on somebody, you better be perfect to be a judge. Let me say that again. If you're going to be the judge, you better be perfect. Or you better be willing for your judgment to be upon your family as well when they're imperfect. The judgment we, I don't know where this is coming from right now. But I really feel this. If I'm going to impose judgment on somebody else, then I better be able to offer up my children and say the same judgment must be towards them. If I'm going to cut somebody off and I'm going to judge them, then I better pose my children and say, you're going to get the same behavior. You're going to get the same judgment because judgment has to be perfect. We better offer up our spouse our parents, our loved ones, in the same manner that we judge other people. Just because they're our family doesn't mean that they have a different judgment. Amen? My word, I don't know where this is coming from, but I really feel in the Holy Ghost right now. Judgment is right and it is wrong. Judgment is perfect. That's why I don't have a license to be a judge. Now, I can judge righteous judgment, and I can judge fruits and all that stuff, but sometimes we are so prejudiced in the way that we judge people that we lock in a judgment to them, and they are never the same after that, that locking in of our judgment of that person. Who are we to judge like that? My word. I, I pray to God that somebody doesn't judge me. I pray to God that God doesn't judge me like that. I pray for mercy. You know why? Because I need mercy. I pray for grace and patience. Why? Because I need patience and I need grace. So if we're not able to give that to others, guess what? The Bible says we won't get it in return. 
Oh, this is good word tonight. This is very good word. And this, these are words to live by that we need to understand that, that the, 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 the body of believers, the love that we have for one another, the unifying Spirit of God must be prevalent more than anything else, more than our prejudice, more than our, our desires. I'm gonna, you know, the, the judgment of people in the world today, those who are, you know, they're, they're really preaching, uh, you know, equal rights, and they're, they're preaching, you know, uh, uh, racism, you know, they're trying to preach against that stuff, are the very ones, I'm going to get a little political here, but I'm not meaning to be, I'm just trying to speak truth right now, but they are the very ones that are more bigots and more judgmental and more racist Oh, there should be an ability for anybody to do anything they want to do. But if you start preaching it, we're going to shut you down. Why? Because that's my belief. That's the way I look at things. It doesn't matter the way we look at things. What does the Word of God have to say? Amen? Let's go to the Word more than our, our desires or our feelings or our feelings of insecurity that will cause us to think things or believe things or even to feel things that... that we have no right to feel or to think or for sure to judge. Amen. My word, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I'm way off base here from where I was going. But not really. I'll get there. I'll bring it all around here in a moment. Jesus encouraged this type of confidence by telling them that they were the salt and they were the light of the world. They were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, something did happen to them. They're not who they thought they were, and they weren't, they're not the same as what happened after God filled them with the, with the Holy Ghost. He's saying, you people are significant to the world. You people stand out from the rest. You are here tonight. You are significant. And I guess that's my, my goal here tonight, to let you know you're significant. Don't let anybody tell you you're not significant. If God says it, if His Word says it, then we need to say, Lord, Your Word says that I'm significant, and whether somebody says it, or not, whether they like me or not. And that's why I like Brother Delgado's message on Sunday. You know, as long as you're living truth and you're obedient to the Word of God, that's a great mindset. That's liberating. That you're not uh, worried about the opinions of others as long as you're doing what's right. Amen? Liberating. It's beautiful. That's the way God wants us to walk. We don't need to be walking in fear of man. We don't need to be walking with trying to please everybody or to tiptoe and be afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing. If we're living right and our intentions are right, you know, and if we do blow it, and we do at times, then we just need to correct it, say, I'm sorry, I blew it, and move on with our life. But we should not be shackled by the opinions of other people as long as we're living in truth. Uh, the purpose of being the light of the world is found in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse number 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So God doesn't mind that we shine, that we achieve as long as we're glorifying Him, as long as our motives are, are right and we've got everything in order. So our ambition is and our drive uh, is to point to the glory of the Lord, and God will equip us to carry out His plan. God, you know, God's not uh, opposed to somebody being successful in the world because we can make an impact in the world. Who's going to reach these people? Really, they don't have any needs. 
They have no desire to come to the house of the Lord. But if God can raise somebody up and bring them into a level of, of a corporate, the corporate world or a level that, that they're successful and they're living for God and they're faithful for God and they're faithful to Him and they're doing what they know they should do, what is wrong with God elevating them like He did for Joseph to where Joseph could make an impact with the people that were higher up that nobody else could really make an impact on? How can we live before them if we're not there? How can, how can we be successful or how can we, we knock on their door or be a part of their life if we're not a part of their life? But if we're working with them, if we're being elevated, I, you know, who knows what, what can come from our young people or from you adults that are here today, the, the levels and the people that you come in contact with. But I pray to God that you, know, that you do reach the, 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 the wealthy, that you reach the elite, that they have a chance to go to heaven too. Amen? So if we say, well, they don't deserve heaven or I'm not worried about them, then we also have that bigotry in our heart to where we're judging, saying, well, they're not worthy, but boy, that bum on the, that, shouldn't say bum, that, that man or that woman on the street that has nothing, you know, they're worthy, but not that, not that millionaire. Does this make sense right now? Should we judge them and say they're not worthy of heaven because they have millions of dollars that's just going to go by the wayside anyway? It really doesn't mean anything in eternity, but they also deserve heaven too. So my point is this. We need to understand that God is reaching for souls, but he does that through us. And sometimes our ambition or our desire to keep it in check and give glory to God can make, maybe raise us to a level in different areas of living that there's nothing wrong with that because we can make an impact in people's lives as long as we're keeping God as the central focus of our life and bringing Him into that world, that, that area of influence. All right, let me move on quickly here. Now, none of us can be happy unless we have purpose in our life. And that, I guess that's really what this lesson is boiling down to. Everybody has a desire to have purpose in their life, connected to something, being a part of something that is greater uh, than, than their own life. People who are depressed and have a bad outlook on life are those who feel that they don't have purpose. It's those who are not fulfilled. Amen. I've been there. I know exactly that feeling. So I'm not judging anybody for being in that phase of their life. I, it's real. And that, that's why I'm teaching this lesson is because this is real life right now. People that, that understand I don't have purpose or I don't have a purpose that I feel that I'm fulfilling, so I am miserable because it's inside of me to be a part of something, to, to have purpose. So if that's the, the way that we're wired, then of course you're not going to be happy. If you're wired to have purpose and you don't have it, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to be happy. And you're going to feel like you're falling short of fulfilling that, that purpose. And that's what this lesson is all about here tonight. Now, if you read of those who are great, uh, a great success in life, you'll find that they have a particular aim. Some would say that they, are, they were obsessed or they could be described as having a one-track mind. Or to give uh, what they're doing is they're wanting to give maybe to others what they have. And that's my goal here tonight is that we're going to spiritualize it. And if they do have a one track mind, is that that one track mind is that they might share what they have received from the Lord. So that is the way they probably would be uh, described. They're just one track. They're so focused. They're so goal oriented. They make me sick. Amen. 
Some people are so disciplined. They're so stinking disciplined. Why do I say it like that? Because I don't have the discipline they have. I admire it, but man, it makes me mad because I don't have it, right? Right? Let's be honest right now with the way that we, we judge it and look at it at times. But let's just, you know, in my Bible study right before church, I, I told the, the ladies, I said, you know, what's wrong with complimenting? What is wrong with rooting for somebody? You know, I, sometimes we think our goal is to keep them humble. And we got to keep them down, down to earth. So we got we to gotta put them down or not, you know, make sure that we don't compliment them and all that. My goodness, the world will beat the, the living daylights out of somebody, out of our brothers and sisters. So I don't believe in flattery. I'm not talking about flattery. Flattery is wrong. That's really a, an exaggerated lie that you feel like you're trying to help somebody, but that's, that's wrong. But if you really have, you're able to commend somebody and give them credit, we ought to be secure in ourselves that we can securely tell them that you did a wonderful job. In fact, I'm going to tell you you did a wonderful job because somebody out there is going to knock you down. And they've got, they've got ways of doing that out there. So we as a body of believers ought to elevate one another. We ought to esteem one another better than ourselves because that's what the Bible says we ought to do. Amen? So if you read them, the people like that, they're very, very one-track. They have a, a consuming desire to do something or a consuming aim in their life. Jesus was like this. His 33 and a half years that he lived, he started out at a very young age of being focused. He was a, a man that, a young man that had an aim at a very young age. When he was 12 years old, he was found in the temple talking to the rabbis and to the scholars. You talk about a one-track mind that this man, this young man had. He was confronted by his parents. They said, where were you? you know, we're, what, you're not responding. We were looking for you. And he said in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 49, he said, how is it that you saw me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He was so focused at an early age that he was consumed with his passion. He made sure that I'm going to be focused on what? Doing the will of the father doing what I'm supposed to do. So uh, he's going through Samaria or going uh, past uh, an area by Samaria. He said, we must needs go to Samaria. So he goes to the well of a, of a lady that had a lot of uh, issues. And, and so he ministers to her. He was so focused on that one need that as a result, the revival had taken place because he was focused on the individual. He knew that God had a plan for him to follow, and so he followed that plan. He ended up years later down the, the road. There's great things that happened from that. But why? Because he was passing through Samaria. He said, I've got to go through, I've got to go this way. I've got such an aim and a focus that I've got to be busy about the father's business, even when he was even uh, beyond the 12 years old when he said uh, those very words. All right? Another time he's walking, stops in his tracks, looks up in a sycamore tree, right? Who's up there? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was loaded because he was a thief. He, he, was lo he had a lot of money because he stole from people. Now, you know, how would we think as a Christian today? Huh. He steals money, he's a thief, and he's wealthy. Forget about you, Zacchaeus, but not Jesus. Jesus saw an opportunity, got a thief, he's wealthy, and he's pondering and looking at the things that, that are going on. Jesus was so focused in his aim that he said, that wealthy man deserves me too. 
that sinner deserves me. And so he made sure that he made a path. He said, Zacchaeus, you're going to have dinner with me tonight. We're going to eat together because I care about you. I'm focused on you right now. All right. And, and he said in Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is my focus here, is to make sure that I'm not condemning a wealthy man, but I'm going to have, den- I'm going to have lunch with him. I'm going to win him to the Lord. So all these, all these efforts and all these desires was about Jesus saying, not my will, not my desire. In fact, I'm going to go to the cross because I love humanity so much. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to go to a literal cross. I'm going to be crucified for humanity. That's, I believe, what Jesus expects from us. Every day, climbing up on our cross and say, God, this is not about me. i got to crucify me. i got to crucify my, my individuality. I've got to crucify my own desires. God, i got to do it for humanity. i got to do it for somebody else. And so if this church, if the church is to be what God would have us to be, it's because we have been found having a desire to do a work for God in these last days. And if we're going to be successful at, at doing this work for God, we've got to find significance. We've got to find a focus that God has called us to be something important in Him. And so I want us to be obsessed with pleasing God. I want to, I want to make sure that we are so obsessed with doing the plan of God and doing what God would have us to do that we are able to win somebody in our life to the Lord Amen. For His kingdom and for His glory. Paul had these goals in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 26 and 27. He had goals and aims as well. But his was even more focused on doing a work for the Lord. He said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. In other words, I've got a focus here. I, when, you know, I'm not just swinging and doing Hail Marys and seeing how this goes, but I've got a, I got a plan and I've got a focus and I, I'm going to make sure that what I'm doing is strategic, that, that I'm putting some thought behind it. I'm not just going to throw a bunch of emotions at it, but I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm focused on what God would have me to do. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to just, you know, throw things out there and a bunch of desires and I wish I could do this and I wish I could do that and and boy, wouldn't it be neat if I I was born into this or I I had that. That's that's foolishness. That that has nothing to do with anything. We can wish our life away, but God, I want to make sure that I have a daily plan that I am following after you and you can order my steps. And every day, whenever I start my day, Lord, order my steps. Show me the way, God. Make sure that the, the, the path that I walk this day, Lord, is a path that you have chosen, that your will is done. And I'm telling you, and Brother Mobley and I were talking about this because we kind of had the same issues at work, and this has worked for, for him. I don't know how it went today, but, but you know, so-so today. But this, this has worked for him. This has been a, 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 a principle in the Word of God of just, God, order my steps. Help me to, to work hard. Help me to put my focus on you first and foremost. And I'll tell you, we start pleading the blood over our path and our life and, and asking God to order every step that we take. God is going to be in that. You know, sometimes it's, you know, we don't like the path that we're on, but I can guarantee you, if you are offering the first fruits to the Lord, and you're saying, God, I, the path that I'm on today, I'm going to follow you, and I want you to bless it, and I want to plead the blood over this path that I'm taking today, I can promise you that the blessings of the Lord can be upon that, and they are on that. And that's what Paul was talking about. Lord, I'm strategically going to follow after your plan 
and after your will. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it. All right? We've come, you know, as long as, uh, as we can. We've come a long way, but we're not quite there yet. You know, I'm not quite at that, that point where I've arrived. But he went on to say, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Amen. Forget about your failures. You need to forget about your failures. Quit focusing on the past. Quit looking. Quit allowing the failure, whether you're looking or not, to hold you back. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm forgetting about them. And then you're influenced by them. And they, they pull you back. And that mindset or that way of thinking or the, the condemnation or the way you used to think or look at life. You need to forget about that. In other words, you need to leave that stuff behind. And if that has a lurking uh, influence in your life, you need to cut ties with it. Amen? Because it'll, it'll follow you. And it'll influence your, your outset and your outlook on life. It'll influence the way you look at things. Because, you know, you might not be looking back, but it's pulling you back. That influence is still there. Amen? We need to be delivered from our past. And if our mindset from the past was not godly and proper, then we need to be delivered from that and say, God, deliver me from those old ways of thinking. The way I used to look at things, the way I used to judge and, and look at life, God, deliver me from that. I, I'm, I'm better than that. I'm looking ahead. I'm pressing toward a prize. I've, you've got something marked up there, God, that I see it in the future, and I'm going to pursue it. I, my face is like a flint on that thing, and I am not going to be influenced by the past ways that I felt, the feelings, the situations, the sins, the condemnation. Forget it. If you made a mistake in the past, if you truly repented of that, if you, <laughs> let me say that again, if you truly repented of that, then you need to forget about it and be done with it. And when the devil dangles it in the rearview mirror or puts a rearview mirror up and you can see it in the past, you need to rip that rearview mirror off. Amen. You might not be looking, but you're looking, you're kind of, you know, looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I remember that too, devil. You might not say devil, but that's who's given you those thoughts if you repented. And it's going to hold you back. So he's saying, don't worry about those past failures, but reach forth unto those things which are before and I believe it's time for you and I to do this. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to press on and say, God, I want to do something greater for you. I want to be what you would have me to be. So the key words in the passage is this, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. What's the one thing that we have to do? we got to go to heaven. we got to make sure. I've got to make sure Frank Crossan goes to heaven. This one thing I do, if I do anything in the, my life, the first thing I've got to do is I've got to go to heaven. Before she goes to heaven, before they go to heaven, before you all go to heaven, he's got to go to heaven. Right here, I've got to go to heaven. I'm responsible for me first and foremost. Nobody is responsible for me except for me. Amen? We can help one another. I hope you encourage me and I can encourage you. But when it's all said and done, when I stand before the master, the master judge, amen, and he gets out the gavel and he opens up the book, 
It's going to be Frank Crossan and God standing there. That's going to be the judge. I don't have anybody testifying for me. I have nobody putting in a good word and say, well, he, he did his best. You know, he tried. Nope, that's not good enough. I stand alone, and you stand alone. This one thing I do is I've got to go to heaven. I have to make sure that I go to heaven, and so do you. Amen. All right, so this is, the, this is I think, what Paul is trying to focus on is pursuing the future. Now, in order to find true significance in this Christian life, there must be a willingness to be a servant to others. Amen. Now, this runs totally opposite of the mindset of the world, not just the world, but our human nature. Let's just call it for what it is. It's not just the world. It's human nature, you know? It, it just runs the opposite. When we start servanthood, start about talking about servanthood and, and, you know, putting others before ourselves, this in, in the flesh and in our, you know, we may not admit to it, but, you know, we're out for, you know, number one. This is the one that we're, I just said it, you know, we're responsible for ourselves. So we have that tendency to forget sometimes and, you know, and just uh, put ourselves as being number one. Now, spiritually, we are re we're responsible for ourselves, number one. But the best way to be responsible for yourself is by serving others, is by helping other people along. And I've got scripture for it. Jesus said it to James and John in our text, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 27, 28. He said, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So if Jesus himself, the perfect one, was called to be a servant to others, how much more ought we, amen, I, let's just personalize it right now, that I should be a servant to others. If the perfect one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, not my opinion, but the word says that he was called to minister to others and to serve them, how much more ought we as a believer be responsible to serve our fellow humanity? All right? Now, Jesus became a servant in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm winding down here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6, he said, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, oh my, of no reputation. In other words, he didn't have an ego. That's what happens when you don't have a reputation. You don't have an ego. Doesn't matter me. Doesn't matter my reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of of man. Alright, so he, no longer was he an egomaniac, and he never was, but he didn't have an egomaniac type mindset. He didn't have a, you know, I'm the boss and you're not as, you know, as good as I am, but he took on that form of a servant, no reputation, and was able to serve humanity. And so he made it very clear that as believers, whenever he was talking in, in our text, that that is the way to success. In fact, that is the way to significance. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? When you serve somebody, 
and they can't give you not one thing in, in return. And you know they can't. And it's just an act. And, it, it, I'm, you know, we're not elevating ourselves, but it's just an act that, you know, I'm just going to do this because I want to. Because Jesus has compelled me to do it. They can't. They only know who I am. They may not even know about the act of service. But is there anything more gratifying of knowing that we are fulfilling our call by serving somebody that can't give us anything in return? That's the highest level of significance. That's, that's when you feel good about yourself. Not in a bad way, but in a way that I am fulfilling the plan and the purpose of God in my life. I am finally fulfilling the plan and purpose of God in my life. John 13, 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you, are, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Amen. What is he saying? He's saying that, Sister Chastine, you have a need. So Sister Radford's going to wash your feet because she's not worried about her feet. She's worried about your feet. Amen. Brother Kenny, you're not worried about your feet, but you're worried about Logan's feet because his feet's dirty. And so you're going to go over there and you're going you're gonna to wash his feet. Whether he even knows it or not, you know, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. Because there's a need here. He can't pay you back. It's not tit for tat here. It's you're going to do the deed because you know he needs that. In a spiritual sense, sometimes we wash people's feet by just praying for them and loving them. You know, I'm not talking about and little foot washing is good. And we, ought to, we need to do it more. I, I admit that. But, but even in a deeper sense, it's, you know, Brother Ben's just seemed a little bit down lately. Not really, but it could be, you know, in a service. And I, I just want to go over. I just want to pray for him. He might have his eyes closed. He doesn't even know who's praying, but just lay hands on him. Lord, touch him. Lord, wash over him right now. Bless him right now. That's called washing your brother's feet right there. Serving them and caring for their need more so than they even realize of what's going on or that that person knows what's going on. But God, just bless them. Pour out your, help me to be a servant to them, Lord, and just, just bless them with the blessing you would give me, Lord, just give it to them. I just want to prefer my brother right now. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the significance that I believe that we can find in the kingdom is by making sure that we serve our fellow man. If you're looking for significance and you're looking for something to do for God, you know, and you're just, you want to do something, you want to be busy, I commend you for it. I already t talked about that in the first half of the lesson. Ambition's fine. Spiritual ambition is fine. I'd rather you want to do that than to do something for the world, so I commend you for it. But how do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it is by meeting the need where it is. There's a need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill that need. Why? Not for myself, but because it's a need. Will anybody know about it? Maybe not, but it doesn't matter because it's a need. And that's my job. I'm fulfilling, I'm filling the need that is there at that moment. Amen. That's significance right there, church. And I, I believe that we, if I was ever in a church, I've been raised in church all my life as we stand together. I know that we do have that, but I want to make sure that we, we continually just navigate that arena of serving one another and that area of being able to serve each other. I read about in West Germany, I'm going to close with this. There's a castle, had 474 rooms 
And uh, it, it's pretty incredible when you begin to look at it. In this castle, it was easy to see the line that separated the royalty from the servants. And so the servants were not allowed to go into the areas where the, where the royalty uh, lived. They weren't allowed to go near it or they would be killed. And even in the, the, in the throne room, the king and the queen, the queen's throne was three steps lower than the king's. So, I mean, they, you know, there's just uh, that pecking level and that, that level that nobody else was able to go to that, that level of the king. Not even the queen could go to the level of the king. I started thinking, what a contrast to the true king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I began to read the scriptures that describing him. Amen. These worthy kings, a lot of them part of a monarchy that they were they were just a king because they were lucky to be born into a kingdom or a family in that kingdom. They didn't do anything. They didn't deserve any, they had no royalty in their blood. They were just regular men and women that happened to be born into a certain family. But yet they were elevated and esteemed so greatly. I, I watched a video clip. I don't know if some of you saw this while I was waiting on uh, the Bible study. There's a North Korean young lady that was given her, her assessment of, of North Korea. And she was delivered from that, the bondage. And she was talking about how it's pretty incredible. It'll make you cry. She's a young girl. And just talking about how she was, she was in such bondage to the, to the, the king in, in North Korea, or whatever they call president, that she thought that he could read her mind. And he would kill. And she saw, I mean, the things that she talked about happened to her mom and to uh, people that she knew, her neighbor's uh, mother and her best friend's mother and the things that they did over and over again and just killing and, and uh, raping and, and just, it was, it was horrible. And this, this king over there, this, this president over there is just a regular man with a whole lot of power right now. So elevated. All the propaganda, anything they talk about has to be uh, just full of propaganda in, in his, his kingdom. But yet, here's the king of kings that lowered himself to serve. Amen. That's what we need to be. And that's who we need. That's who we serve. That's who we have inside of us. And so everything we do in the kingdom, I'm, I'm going to just bring up rock a block or otherwise, whatever you do, understand it's not about you. It's not about what you can bring to the table. And I, I thank God for you. And I'm, I appreciate it. I know Joe and Andrea do. But what you're doing is you're doing it unto Him for His glory. That's why so many people are involved in the ministry like this because you're not doing it for me. Obviously, you're doing it for Him. If you're doing it for me, it might be half the people show up. Maybe. Amen. But you're doing it for Him. And I thank God for that. I thank God that I'm a part of a church like that. So if you're looking for significance, understand that you're going to get it by serving your fellow humanity. Brother Dave, you're right. Meeting the need where it's at. He said this the other day. Wherever the need's at, that's where you find your purpose. That's where you find your significance. What's the need? Hey, I'm going to be there and I'm going to fill. I'm going to do the very best I can to fill a need that's there. Amen. I wonder if you're, if you're looking for significance or maybe there's something that you're looking for in God. Not only do I promise you that I'll do my best to help you find that, but more than anything, I pray that the mindset of serving and helping people 
will be first and foremost in your mind. And if you have that, you don't really need me to show you. You can find it yourself. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for your blessings. Lord, thank you for your church. God, let the power and the glory of the Lord rest upon your people. God, let your anointing do a work, Lord, like it never has before. God, help us to serve one another, Jesus. Help us, Lord, I pray, God, to find our purpose, Lord, that we can find it, Lord, and understanding that we need to esteem somebody before ourselves, God, to put others before ourselves, Lord. God, and I want to make sure that we do this as a church body, God, that we offer ourselves to you. And for all these things, Jesus, we give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord together.